I have the joyful privilege of speaking this morning on looking up the disciples' joy. We actually have a kind of a model for disciple making, which is uh, looking up, which is our relationship with Jesus, looking in, which is the care of our soul so that we grow and become more like him, and then looking out, which is how we live out God's mission uniquely in our lives. So so for the next few weeks, we're going to be doing that. And as I said, I get to talk about looking up. And um, I just want to say, when, I, uh, when we started the Disciple series, I, I love the emphasis on it, but I always feel a little uncomfortable because when I think of disciple, I think of disciple with all little letters, and then I think of disciple with all caps, and that's like the real disciples, right? The ones who are go hard after Jesus, and they just seem so radical, and I've always felt like I didn't quite match that in my life. And part of it is because I have not had the same kinds of experiences that a lot of people I know have had. For example, when Joe and I met each other, we were in college, and our last year of college, the Jesus movement exploded in Southern California, and revival took place on our campus. And Joe had an experience with the Holy Spirit. He shared it here before. But it was so powerful and so transforming that the next morning, as a college student, he got up at 6 a.m. and spent time with Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And he never stopped all since then. He's 71 now. <laughs> And, you know, those kinds of experiences, so I would ask, like, what, when am I going to get to have that kind of experience? And I would pray, and, and even uh, about 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, we had a small revival at our own church that Joe and I had planted and pastored, and um, the Spirit was moving so powerfully. Joe was preaching on the glory of God. He preached 30 messages on it, and uh, people were just kind of getting blown away. And uh, I just was saying to the Lord, okay, Lord, show me your glory. That was the constant prayer of my heart. And one day I got a call from one of our college students who was like a daughter in the Lord to me. And she said, I have to come over and tell you guys what happened to me. So she came. And she told us that the night before, she went to bed and she just sort of, you know, nonchalantly said, Lord, if you want to show me your glory, I'd love to see it. And she went to sleep. And she woke up about an hour later, and she could barely move. She had to get on the floor. And she laid on the floor. She could not get up because the presence of God was so strong, she literally could not move. And she wept. And, you know, she's telling me this story. She's telling Joe and I this story. And I'm bawling the whole time she's talking. And if I'm honest with you, I was a little discontented with God at that point. (laughs) But because I didn't have those experiences, I tended to often think, well, I'm not like the real capital letters disciple. My journey has been, though, one foot in front of the other, sometimes two steps forward, one step back. And I shared several weeks ago how I've seen God's glory, but I want you to know I've seen it in the dailies. That's been my life as a disciple. And my passion, I can say now that after 60 plus years, it is my joy to look up 
And my passion is that it would be your joy as well. And that's why I'm here sharing this morning. So let's look at this definition of a disciple that Robert gave us a few weeks ago. I think it might be the best definition I've ever seen. (laughs) And it's this, a joy-filled relational attachment to Jesus in which we are transformed into his likeness. A joy-filled, very important, relational attachment to Jesus in which we are transformed into his likeness. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to do three things. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give you kind of a biblical basis to show you that this is the best definition of discipleship. And then I'm going to give you some things you can do to have a lifestyle of looking up. And I'm going to tell you how I do that. And then our final thing is we're going to have a big church-wide FaceTime. Okay? <laughs> or if you're my age, you might call it quiet time because that's what we called it. But we're, I'm going to actually model for you, and we're going to do it together. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. You guys ready? All right. All right. So the first thing I want to do is I want to give this biblical basis. The key word in that definition is transformation. How do we become like Jesus? So the moment begins when we first come to know him, right? So if you'll turn to 2 Corinthians 4, 6, the beginning of our journey, and it says this, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That's a lot of words. But if I were to ask you how, if you know Jesus, how did you come to know him? You might give me all kinds of answers. You might say someone shared the gospel and I received it, or I prayed a prayer, or even I walked down an aisle at a church. But this verse tells us what happened from God's perspective. And what happened was the same God who created this world, and when it was full of darkness said, let there be light, came to your soul that was dark and unable to see the light of his glory and said to you, to your soul, let there be light. And when he said that, you saw something. You saw something of the radiance of God's glory in the face of Christ. And that is where salvation begins. It might not have been, you know, lightning like, you know, like I told you. Mine was just in these little glimpses, but you saw something, and that's how you came to know him. So that's the salvation part of it. But then the next big word I want to give you is sanctification. (laughs) Sanctification is a big theological word that just means the journey of becoming like Jesus. It's being set apart to be like him. But how does that happen? I have a feeling you could give me a lot of answers about that, too, of the things you should do. But turn to 2 Corinthians 3.18. Let's look at it from God's perspective. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What does that mean? 
Here's what it says. We all, you and me, we have unveiled faces. What that means is in God's presence, we don't have to wear a veil. We get to see him as he is. We get to have no shame, no anxiety, no fear, no guilt. We come with an unveiled face and we gaze at God's glory, at who he is, at the wonder of who he is. And in that process, we are changed. Now, that word literally means beholding as in a mirror. And so in those days, they didn't have mirrors like we have where you can see yourself. They were more like you're looking like kind of like a, gra a brass pot. And to see yourself, you had to really gaze. And so it's saying that when God's glory and the beauty and wonder shines into our hearts and we gaze at him, we see the radiance of his glory from our own soul being reflected back to us, and that changes us. That's how we are transformed. That's why looking up is so important. Okay, so we look, we, we, we're look, we've looked at salvation, we've looked at sanctification. I have one more big word for you. Anybody guess what it is? Glorification. <laughs> Glorification is um, a word that describes what will happen when we see Jesus face to face, and we will be glorified, which means we will become like him. And I'm going to prove this to you. Turn to uh, 1 John 3, 2, and it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears we shall be like him. How do we know that when he appears, we'll be like him? For we shall see him as he is. You see that trajectory across salvation? He says, let there be light. We see him. Sanctification, we gaze and we look at him. We get to know him intimately and we're transformed. But the promise is the moment we see him face to face, we will be like him. And I can't even comprehend what that means. Yes, whew, that is exciting. So that is the journey of looking up. So not only is it our joy to look up, but it is the way we're transformed and made like Jesus. Okay, so now I'm going to tell you three ways that I think are important for us to look up. And the first is that we want to saturate our minds with God's greatness. Saturate your minds with God's greatness. I'm going to use Psalm 145. If you want a litany of God's greatness and his glory, go to Psalm 145 because it is just verse after verse. But in verse uh, 3, it says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. And what that is saying is you can saturate your mind with his greatness and you'll never run out of material. Because you, we can't fully fathom the greatness of God. When I was about the age of many of you, I, I meditated on Psalm 4, I mean, Isaiah 40, that talks about the greatness of God. And it says, who holds the waters in the hollow of his hand? It's talking about God. And, and I thought about that. What is that? What does that mean? And I read that in, in the waters in this world, there are 326 million trillion gallons of water. <laughs> That's 18 zeros after 326. And our God just holds out his hand 
and holds the waters in the hollow of his hand. Or who's marked off the heavens by the span? The span is from his thumb to his finger. We have no idea how big the heavens are, do we? We really don't. But we do know that the radius of our own world is 46.5 billion light years. And if you can explain that to me later, that's great. But I don't even know what that means. But it's, that is between God's thumb and his finger. That's how great he is. Or in verse 25, he says this, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his greatness, great power, and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Now, when I was a little girl, they taught us that we lived in a galaxy called the Milky Way. And they estimated that maybe there were 50 million stars. That was a lot of stars to think about God naming them all. But then they started getting science that could actually send a telescope like the Hubble telescope into the space. And lo and behold, they realized they were wrong. (laughs) That there are probably 100 billion stars in this one galaxy. But that's not all. Now they're saying they think there are 200 billion galaxies. And every one of those has untold numbers of stars. And Isaiah tells us our God knows the name of every one. And not one is missing because he calls them out by name. Our God is great. This is a reality we'll never, ever fully grasp. But we've got to saturate our minds with it if we want to be transformed into the image of Christ. When I was a teenager, I was a member of the First Southern Baptist Church of San Diego. It's It's no longer here, but it was at the corner of Park and Mead. And there was another church called the Calvary Baptist Church. And the Calvary Baptist Church was an African American church. And every year we would do a trade where they would send their choir and their pastor up to see us and do our service. And we would spend, send our choir and our pastor down to them to do their service. We got the better end of the deal, I can tell you that, <laughs> because it was amazing. And the pastor at that time was a man named S.M. Lockridge. And I, they, the rumor was that SM stood for Shadrach, Meshach. And I don't know if that was true, and I don't know what happened to Abednego, but he was SM Lockridge. And he was a powerful communicator. When he stood in the pulpit, it was electrifying. And he, one of the messages that he preached was about God's greatness. And it became so popular. He, he died in, in 2000. He's with the Lord in heaven. But that message is now in bits and pieces all over YouTube. There's even a hip-hop version. There's worship versions. And I wanted you to see just a short clip from it because it will give you a taste of God's greatness. 
The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's only a little snippet. I love when he says, I wish I could describe him to you. I'm like, wow. Oh, that we would saturate our minds with the greatness of God and be transformed. Second, we want to settle our souls with the goodness of God. Settle your soul with God's goodness. Psalm 145.7 says they celebrate your abundant goodness. God isn't just good. He's abundantly good. And I just want to say often in Christian churchy circles, we throw the goodness of God around 
and we're, and we're insensitive to the fact that we have to experience it in the midst of a lot of pain. And a lot of you are suffering from a lot of struggles. And I, I'll say there's pain in this world, and all the theological explanations don't help me much uh, when, you know, when I'm going through it. And yet, God is good. And so how do we, set, how do we settle our souls in that goodness? Many years ago, many decades ago, I went through what uh, it would be classically called the dark night of the soul. And in that dark night, it wasn't external suffering. It was God's presence had been removed from my life. He wasn't, I couldn't hear him. I couldn't experience him. The Bible just felt like any other book. Worship services felt dry and boring. And I was so lost. And I used to wander around our backyard at night. And sometimes I would lay down in the grass and I would just cry. And I would look at those billions of stars and say, where are you, God? Where are you? And one night I went into my office after dinner and I laid on my face and I was crying. And Joe came in and he laid down beside me. And I told him, I said, you know, I don't think there's anything you can do to help me right now. And so he prayed for me, and he left. And I talked to the Lord. I said, God, I don't know what else to do. I don't know how to give you any more of myself. And I, nothing happened. And I left that time and went on. And all I can tell you is I look back, and that moment is some sort of treasure on my journey. And I still think of it with this deep awareness of God's goodness. God can make his goodness known. In fact, he is best at making his goodness known through suffering. Where do we see it shine most brightly? On the cross. On the cross where Jesus gave himself and suffered and died. I, before that dark night, I had spent a lot of time looking at the cross. I started one, one morning a month before Easter. And I thought, I'm just going to meditate on the cross for a month now. Get ready for Easter. And I read these words. As was his custom, he went to the Mount of Olives. And I got stuck on those words. As was his custom. What did that mean? Did he go to the Mount of Olives other nights? Was he there sleeping when his disciples had homes to go to? Did he pray long hours for what he would face in that temple that was just below the mountain? And then I started thinking, did he come here night after night and ask God to take this cup away? Did he sweat drops of blood the night before the disciples saw it? We don't know. But I started that journey, and it lasted. I thought it was going to be a month. It lasted almost a year. And in that, I experienced the redeeming love of God, and it transformed me. And I just want to uh, just give a little uh, encouragement to you. Now, we're in the season of Lent. You may not know that. Lent is the time when the whole church presses into the wonder of redeeming love 
and looks at the cross. It's 40 days. It started last Wednesday. It goes all the way up through the Thursday before Easter, skips Sundays. And so I want to encourage you to use this time to really press in to the redeeming love, the goodness of God. I have a couple of ways uh, you might want to do it, and I'm going to take the time because I didn't have time in the other services. I did write a book on my year experience. It's called Contemplating the Cross. It takes you on a journey uh, through those final hours with Jesus. I also this year created a very simple daily devotional that takes you into the scriptures of Jesus' final hours and the scriptures on God's love for you. It can take you five to ten minutes a day. You can add it to your disciple. Uh, if you're doing the disciple one, which I, is great, you can add it to that. And I think we have, um, it's on my website, soulatrest.com. And if you want to buy the book, you can get it out there. But whatever you do, make this the season to really press in and settle your soul in the wondrous goodness of God. And then third, we want to secure our hope in God's grace. Secure our hope in God's grace. Psalm 145 says the Lord, in verse 8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. And I don't have a lot of time to talk about uh, the grace. That could be a whole nother sermon. But I just, I just want to say this. God, Jesus told us, apart from me, you can do nothing. And it was true. And there is such hope in knowing that I don't have to do anything on my own. That whatever I do, from the most mundane things, Joe had hip surgery this week. That's why he's not here. And, um, and so he needed a nurse. And I just got to tell you, I'm not a very good nurse. And uh, I'm not really a very good servant. I've had to learn to be a servant. Joe is a natural servant. He's born to be a servant. But I'm not. And so, you know, I, every day since Thursday, even before, but since Thursday, I'm like, God, I need grace. I'm not, I don't know how to do this. And I want to do it with joy. And I want to do it with love and honor. And so I'm crying out for grace. I'm preparing this sermon as he's calling because he, he can't do anything right now. So I have to get up and, and I'm going, Lord, give me this sermon. I need grace. Grace, grace, grace. Everything is grace. And you can secure your hope in that. And that is how you'll be transformed. All right. So we are ready for our FaceTime. Are you ready? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. You did get a handout. Uh, you can just put that aside right now because I want to just walk you through what I'm going to do. You can, there's, and a lot of you have done this. We've taught it in a lot of different settings. Uh, it's, we're going to do something called Lectio Divina, which just means holy reading or, uh, or uh, what's the other one? Holy reading, divine reading. It means one of those. So, it's very simple. There's four parts. The first is we're going to read. We're going to read scripture. Well, I recommend, and this is why I love this Lent season, because you can take little short portions and not five to ten verses max. You're not reading through the Bible. I mean, you could go through the Bible with Lectio, but it'd probably take ten years, <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> five to ten verses. You read it very slowly, and then you read it again, and you choose a word, a phrase, or even a verse that stands out to you. 
and that the Holy Spirit may be putting on your heart. And so that's read. And then think, which is meditation. That's where we really think about what does this passage say? And what is God... What does it say about God and about the world? What is, it, what is it coming up for me right now? Why is this coming up for me? So you think about it. And then you pray. Now, you're praying the whole time. But the pray is where you're saying, God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want me to do? How do you want to change me? And you have just this beautiful dialogue back and forth with the Lord. And then the final part is rest. This is the hardest for a lot of people, and it's the best. Because in the rest, the actual Latin for this is contemplatio, which means contemplate, and we just looked at that. That's how we're transformed, by gazing at the beauty of God. So this rest, you're just doing nothing except being with Jesus, doing nothing but telling him you love him and receiving his love. And it's, it's so important. If you don't do that, you haven't really done Lectio Divina, okay? So we're going to do that. I'm going to lead you through. So you can, Hebrews 2, if you want to turn in your Bible to Hebrews 2. Now I'm going to tell you something while you're turning or scrolling. <laughs> Uh, I want to highly recommend for FaceTime that you have a print Bible. And here's the reason. When you use, and I have the Bible on my phone, I use it all the time for tools and things. But when you use your phone or your iPad or your computer, your brain tells you we're on the screen now. And what your brain tells you to do is what you do when you're on the screen. If you're a gamer, it's, you're going to be moving all over. If you're just a normal person, you're going to get, oh, there's a ping, there's a beep, there's a this, there's a that. Your mind races, and you can't focus. And so they found science. This is scientific. A print Bible does just the opposite. It tells your brain, oh, it's time to slow down. So I highly recommend for your FaceTime, you have a print Bible. Okay. So what I'm going to, here's what we're going to do. We're, I'm going to have you close your eyes, and I'm going to get you started by giving you a cute couple little things we'll do. Then we're gonna, I'm going to read it out loud to you. So just close your eyes, and I want you to start by taking in a deep breath. And by that, I mean a diaphragmatic breath, which means if you put your hand on your stomach, when you inhale, you'll feel your stomach go out. So let's do that once. And then slowly exhale. This calms down your parasympathetic nervous system. Let's do it again. Deep breath. Slowly out. And one more time. Exhale. And then we want to have presence. You want to be here, not the person you think you should be or someone else thinks you should be. Come as you are and bring whatever you have to the table. Maybe you have anxiety. Say, here I am, Lord, me and my anxiety. Here I am, Lord, me and my anger at my spouse. Here I am, Lord, me and my depression. You come as you are and you show up and be present as the person you are. So take a minute and do that.
and then praise. And there's so many ways you can do praise, but let's right now just thank God for two things. Okay, now you just sit there with your eyes closed and listen as I read this scripture. Just listen. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Okay, now you're going to read it again on your Bible, your phone, or up here. Read it slowly. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a word, a phrase, or a verse. And if you don't have one, just choose one now. We're doing the speed version of Lectio. And you're going to move on to the think. And you're going to ask questions. What is making this stand out to me right now? What do I see about God here? What do I see about myself? About others? What is unique about these words? Where do they connect with my life? What feelings or memories do these words bring up for me? And then we move on to pray. Share what's on your heart with God based on what you've looked at. Ask questions and listen. Lord, what do you want to say to me right now? Lord, how do you want to change me? Lord, what do you want me to do?
You wait in quietness and faith for God to speak. Receive his heart. And now we're going to rest. You rest in silence knowing that God is with you. You don't need to speak. You just receive his love. And if your mind wanders, you just say simple things like, I love you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Stephen's just going to play over, play the music over you. So don't let your mind go somewhere else. Just keep bringing it back to gazing at the face of Jesus and receiving his love and loving him. love you, Lord. Receive his love. Lectio Divina. It's been around since the third century, so it has a good track record. I encourage you to use it or any tool that works for you. I want to say this morning, if you are a person who, when you heard me talk about that moment when God said, let there be light, and you're not sure he said that to your soul. If there's anything in you that wants that, he's ready to say, let there be light. And you can do that this morning in prayer. And I just, uh, for all of you who, you know, you've known you want to live a life looking up, but the discipline and the practice is the hard part, I just want you to ask for grace today. And maybe come up here and have someone pray over you for the grace, because this is not only our joy, and it is the greatest joy the world could ever offer and it can't because God offers it. But it's also how you become like Jesus. And the more we are like Jesus, the more God we can have. And so it's what our journey is all about. Let's stand together.